1209. This is Jeff Wagner. Happy Monday. So, Eric, you think you want to be a radio talk show host? Okay, here, 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 here. Okay, this is an email I got Friday afternoon about Uh-oh. 4 o'clock. No, no, okay, this, this, but I just, Friday. It's from Michael something or other. Jeff, headline is no longer listening. I wanted to let you know I am no longer listening to your show. I've been listening to you for many years, always enjoyed it, until Trump was voted into office. Since then, all you have done is put him down and made fun of him. I tried listening to your show again yesterday, and it was more of the same. You are a never-Trumper who won't admit it. I know others feel the same way, and these are listeners that will never forget or come back. Okay, so that, that's all right. That's, mm. that, that's it. All right, so... So we've got that. You are a never-Trumper. All you've done is make fun of him and put him down. I'm never going to listen again. I'm going to stick my fingers in my ear and go, no, 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 no. Okay, so this is one that just comes in a couple of minutes ago. It's from someone named Jim. Get ready to toot Trump's horn. Wagner, you suck. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, okay, here, here. Oh, you're a never-Trumper. I'm never going to listen. Oh, you're awful because all you do is support the president. You know, <laughs> it's just you can't win, pal. Well, it, right, you can't. Well, right, but see, that's you don't try to because the bottom line is you have to call it like you see it. And as I have been saying since, as I said during the campaign, um, there are personal characteristics of Donald Trump that any decent person would find repulsive. I mean, the guy is a repulsive human being on many levels. I'm sorry if you don't like to hear that, but that's just the reality of it. You look at that Access Hollywood tape, and you go, yuck. Um, You look at the way he ran the campaign and the belittling, and I'm sorry, there's a high yuck factor that's out there. All right? He won the election because Hillary Clinton had a higher yuck factor, and that's just the way I, I, I see this. Okay, fine. He's been in office. And I think there's a lot of stuff that he has done as the president that's been good. You got the tax reform thing, you got the Supreme Court appointment. There's other stuff that he's done that candidly I, I scratch my head on. We're going to talk about, you know, this picking a trade war in just a little bit about why the stock market was down 1400 points last week. And the only reason it was down is because you got the president talking about picking a trade war pretty much indiscriminately, all right, and he thinks trade wars are good and they're easy to win, well, tell that to Harley-Davidson and tell it to all the people who are making cranberries, uh, growing cranberries in Wisconsin Rapids, I mean, or the people that are, you know, making bourbon in Kentucky. Huh. Okay, that that's – so I, I've tried to criticize the president when I thought it was appropriate, and I, I've tried to support him when I thought that was appropriate as well. But we clearly – Live in interesting times. And I just, I started out by sharing those two emails because there, there's people <clears throat> on just both sides of this who either think Donald Trump can do nothing wrong, and there's other people who think he's just the devil incarnate. And there's, the, and th- those groups are never going to meet. And I hear from both of them on a regular basis, which brings us to big story number one. It was a dark and stormy night. <laughs> All right. So it, it says something about this country that that was the most watched early ratings suggest that was the most watched interview on 60 minutes for at least the last decade you know i mean people that the president and the porn star so i had a lovely afternoon yesterday my um um, my my wife's granddaughter turned nine, so we took her out and, uh, you know, had a nice little shopping spree. It was a lot of fun. And we took her and one of the other granddaughters out for pizza. Had a great time. Got home and said, okay, well, this is, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to watch the porn star who slept with, says she slept with the president. 
Uh, and I watched the Stormy Daniels interview, and I, I just I, I watched it just kind of shaking my head the same way you kind of watch the, the train wrecks. You know, you're just, it's a train wreck, but you are morbidly fascinated by watching what what's going to happen. I will give you my take, but I want to know what you thought about that interview. I will start our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my question. I know you watched it or perhaps watched highlights or lowlights, if you will, of that interview. What was your reaction to her as an individual? What was your reaction to the content of what she was saying? And how much trouble is this going to be for President Trump moving forward? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you my initial reactions to this. First of all, do I think that she and President Trump did the nasty back in 2006? Absolutely. A- absolutely. I-, I just, I understand the president denies it. You don't know for sure because I wasn't in the hotel room, but this, it sounds like the modus operandi. I have no doubt that um, this probably, I could just see it. He's at the golf tournament. You invite the, you know, the, the porn actress back to your room. I have no doubt that that happened. I have no doubt about her story where, um, you know, they were talking about, you know, was he going to be able to get her on the Celebrity Apprentice? I, I, I believe her. Maybe you don't. I understand she's denied it on a couple occasions. I understand that maybe she's not the most credible person in the world. But I believe her story as to that. Now, the, the stuff as the story goes on and gets involved, more involved, I am a little bit more hesitant. The stuff about how in 2011, the mysterious unknown guy showed up and told her that she would this bad stuff would happen to her if she continued to go after Donald Trump. I will tell you, I that does not necessarily have the same air of truthfulness that that the first part of, of the story has. And I am not saying she's lying, don't know one way or the other. I would just say that I am a lot more skeptical about that particular aspect of of the story so all right but i I think clearly something went on between them and then of course you get the question of hush money which could create some legal issues as to you know why how did that money end up getting paid candidly after watching the interview i I kind of found myself just shaking my head thinking you know I, i actually politics aside Let's assume that this was not Donald Trump, president of the United States, that this was just Donald Trump, you know, multimillionaire or billionaire New York playboy businessman. I think my reaction would be, you know, these two just deserve each other. They, they just they just deserve each other. All right. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I confess, I, I don't know enough about the various intricacies of campaign finance to know if there was some sort of crime that might have been committed. That strikes me as a bit of a stretch. This, I think, is just sort of a, a tawdry tale, which is perhaps reflective of, of of the character of Donald Trump. Let's put aside the politics, just the reflective of the character of Donald Trump, and I guess I wouldn't be surprised. 414-799-1620. Um, Gru is lining up the calls. If you are on the line, please hold on. What was your reaction to Stormy Daniels on a dark and stormy night last evening? 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 
1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, everybody's talking about the president and the porn star. I watched the interview last night. Um, my take, and I understand this might irritate some of you, is is I think they both deserve each other. I, I don't know. I thought the story, I, the, the part about did they have did they have a sexual relationship? I believe her. I, I just I do. I know the president says it didn't happen. I I believe it did. It was back in 2006. The stuff where she starts talking about the mysterious guy that came and issued a threat. She never seen him again. I. I that strikes me as perhaps she's kind of like starting to embellish on the things. Bottom line is, does it really make any difference? I mean, clearly, this is not a surprise. We knew what type of person Donald Trump was. Does this make any difference moving forward? My reaction at the end was, you know, I think both of them deserve each other. 414-799-1620, Lynn in Menominee Falls. Hi, Lynn. Hi. What do you think? Well, I'm going to tell you up front, I don't like him. I think he's a very immoral bully. Uh, I thought she was quite credible, mm-hmm. and, and so we've been watching 60 Minutes for uh, 50 years, so it wasn't anything new, but I thought, oh, she's going to be, you know, like a, a bimbo kind of an interview, but Anderson Cooper did an excellent job, as always, and I thought she was uh, quite intelligent and, and believable. Mm-hmm. Do you, so about the whole thing, about the threats and all that type of stuff? I believed her. Yes, I think uh, I think politics is dirty. Yes, I did believe everything she said. Do you? Does the fact that she had on multiple occasions had had denied this happening? Does that give you any pause or not really? Well, and she explained why she denied yeah. it because she was threatened. Yep. And of course, she was probably embarrassed. Why do you think embarrassed? That she got involved with him in the first place. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. wasn't, you know, they kept saying she was having an affair. Well, yeah, it was a one-night stand, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it was a one-night stand. No. And actually, right. I, I did candidly, I, I liked the part, I thought, I thought she was very good when she said, look, I'm not a victim. This isn't the Me Too type of stuff. I wasn't sexually assaulted. I went up there. We had consensual sex. You know, I, I thought... I, you know, at least she wasn't. I, she wasn't playing a victim card. She said, "Look, I'm a big girl. I, I knew what we were doing." All right. Does this, does th- does this have legs? Does this hurt President Trump moving forward, or does this just reinforce people's attitudes about him one way or the other? Well, I don't think it'll hurt him at all. His party doesn't seem to care. Okay. Uh, how is they know how we how we behave? Uh, I feel a little sorry for his wife, but then again, I sort of say, well, she knew what kind of character he was when she married him. He's wife number three, and if you read his book, he bragged about having lots of uh, women throw themselves at him. Yeah, I guess um, it, no, no, thanks for calling. I mean, there, there's no, I mean, I guess this this puts the face to, to somebody who says this, but right, it, it's if anybody is shocked or surprised that, gee, that this billionaire wannabe playboy was trying to hit on, you know, Playboy models, or um, you know, pornographic movie, adult movie stars, or, or whatever. I I don't think you could listen to his comments on the Access Hollywood tape and be surprised about that. I guess the question is, does it does it matter other than just the sort of titillation factor? Or like I say, I mean, my reaction afterwards, I'm just shaking my head, thinking these both they just deserve um, each other. Uh, Joan in Waukesha, Joan you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What do you think? First of all. I don't believe she was embarrassed, and I think that everybody knows she's out for the almighty dollar. Yeah. But, but does that change? Let me. I'll let you make your point. But let yeah. me. Does, does does that 
Does that change anything? I mean, yes, I, I, I agree with you completely. She's looking to sell her story. She's looking to make money. She's coming to Milwaukee to appear at a strip joint in a couple months. And if, if she was just showing up, you'd maybe have 20 people, you know, there. Now that she's said that she slept with the president or had sex with the president, there's going to be, you know, 500 people there. So she's clearly, in my opinion, in it for the money. Does that, does that change her credibility in your mind? Uh, oh, absolutely. Okay. But the, the thing that I have an issue with is, you know, this was before he was elected. We don't know what happened since he's been elected. But I don't remember all of this hoo-ha about Bill Clinton, who was in the Oval Office yeah. when it was happening. Well, at the same time, though, I mean, the, the Clinton thing, I mean, he, he got impeached over lying about, you know, the, the whole Monica Lewinsky thing. So there, there was a lot of hoo-ha about that, too, at the okay, same time. Point. Okay. I mean, okay. Okay. Well, see, thanks. See, Joan, this is where, as a, I mean, I I always, the thing that I've been doing this for a long time, and and one of the things that I I always try to do, in in fairness, and it's an argument I make, okay, imagine if the other side were doing this. I would always say, you know, when when somebody is, is ripping on a conservative, I would say, okay, imagine. If this were Barack Obama, if imagine this is Russ Feingold, imagine if this were the person of the left who had done that, everybody's heads would be exploding. And that, that's kind of one of the standards I, I have. And I, I want to be truthful about that. I, I think if this had been Barack Obama or, you know, Bill Clinton or something, and, and these stories had been coming out, you, you know, you know, people on the right's head would be exploding. I'm just simply I'm trying to be fair about this. I guess I, I as I said earlier, I'm a little bit skeptical on the threat stuff. That seems, it seems to me to be a little too pat. Is she out for money? Absolutely. She's trying to make money selling her story. Did something happen between them? I, I would be shocked if it didn't. I don't think the president's being truthful there. I'm, in some respects, I'm, I'm just sort of surprised that, you know, they took this, the attitude of just deny, 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 as opposed to, yeah, they were both adults. This is something that, you know, is between him and his wife and between her. Um, let's see. I, the, the, the paying the hush money, I, I think this is where the story perhaps has legs. Tom in Mequon. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon. Hi, Tom. I, I watched it. I believe her. I think she was credible. And beyond that, I think it's a non-story because he cheated on his wife. Shame on you. Right. But he was not a presidential candidate. He was not the president. Right. Yeah, it's ten years ago. Right. Him in trouble. It will be the cover up, not the actual act. By the cover up, you mean the like the hush money and how that happened? Oh, right, right. Yeah, I still the the whole stuff about how how she got paid the hundred and twenty or hundred thirty grand from the lawyer. None of that makes any sense to me. I agree. (laughs) And the threat, I just that part of it, I don't buy. Right. Yeah. Okay. See that 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 was kind of my reaction to. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe it was. That struck me as being just kind of a little too pat by half. I mean, I, I here's how I, I see it. Maybe she was threatened, maybe not. But, I mean, here, here's what happened. She has this relationship. Um, she decides she's got this opportunity to cash in. Now, this was before he was even running for president. She sells her story. He doesn't want it out because it, it's maybe he's thinking about running for president in 2011. But, um when when she tries to sell her story but still it's an embarrassing sort of thing and you know you've you've got a wife you've got kids and he, he doesn't necessarily want it coming out i could see where you know you're starting to pay this kind of hush money what i don't get and what i think there will be some follow up on is how where the money that she got paid came from i mean the lawyer stories that came from him 
that's just not how things work. I mean, lawyers don't reach into their own pocket and pay money to you know somebody who's like threatening to sue one of their clients or something like that. That's that's just not how the real world works. Um, big picture, I think it's going to kind of be a blip. Ultimately, you know, on the Trump situation, it's going to be the subject of Saturday Night Live. It's going to be the subject of all sorts of late night stuff. But at the end of the day, does it change anything? I, I don't think so. I'm not defending it. It's just it doesn't strike me as any surprise. Like I say, I mean, I think this Donald Trump is what he is. And to me, I guess the 2016 election in retrospect was that, you know, people just didn't like Hillary Clinton more than they didn't like Donald Trump, period. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, just two more days until Insight 2018. Tickets are going fast. And by the way, I do promise you that some of the questions I will be asking various potential candidates, including Governor Walker, the Republican Senate candidates, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson. Vukmir is going to be on an interview we taped earlier that day. We'll show the video of that. And uh, Kevin Nicholson's there in person. Attorney General Brad Schimmel. I, I, we're going to ask about Stormy Daniels. Give you a little bit of notice. We're, the, the Trump effect is going to be a, a question that's going to be put to several of the candidates. It is a rare chance that would be Insight 2018 to get a behind-the-scenes look at how we put the show together and be in the room to hear from Governor Scott Walker about his bid for re-election. It's a very intimate setting. It's going to be just a lot of fun. I've seen the way they're setting up the room this year. Going to have a blast. Um, you can still purchase tickets, WTMJ.com. They're 25 bucks. Doors open at 5.30. The taping starts at 6.30. I'll have you out of there by 9 o'clock. It's going to be a lot of fun. You want to be there. You want to be there. We will make news. Reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com right now and go check out Insight 2018 coming up in two days. It's 12.35. Jeff Wett, WTMJ. So very glad to have you here on a Monday. The Brewers, just two day, or just three days, actually, away from opening day. Greg Matzik, this is cool. Greg is with the team all week, first in Houston, where they're going to be playing two exhibition games, including um, one tomorrow afternoon. We have a shortened show, um, 1 o'clock, uh, first pitch tomorrow. And then in San Diego, opening day is at 2 o'clock. Uh, our coverage starts at 2 o'clock on Thursday. So this is a big week here at WTMJ because we've got Insight 2018, as we were just talking about a minute or two ago. Tickets still on sale, um, WTMJ.com. Um, and, and then what typically what we do is we rebroadcast all of Insight in its entirety the following day. Well, um, what's happening is um, the, our coverage, again, of opening day in San Diego starts at 2 o'clock. So what we're going to do is we are going to be replaying some of Insight on Thursday. We're going to be playing the part with the governor and with uh, the Republican Senate candidates and uh, Supreme Court candidate Mike Skranek. Um, maybe some others, but then the rest of it, you know, we'll be playing in not necessarily the order it happened, but we've been playing it on Friday. So we're going to stretch Insight out over two days, Thursday and Friday. Um, but opening day is Thursday in San Diego. Greg is going to have the latest on and off the field with the Brewers. It all starts tonight at 6.07. Greg is live from Houston, Texas. How cool is that? All right, big story number two. And let me back into this. Um Okay, so Saturday, this, this is how I, I spend my weekend. And actually, it's I, I would not have necessarily anticipated this two years ago, but it's all good. It, it, it's all good. Um, my wife's oldest granddaughter, Gracie, plays in club volleyball. And there was 
uh, there was this huge volleyball tournament in downtown Milwaukee. What what they do is these they got all these different club teams from all over, I think, the state, and they, they take over the top floor of the convention center. And there's 20 courts, and they play like several, they played games on Saturday, and they also played games on Sunday. So we went down. She played at 9, 11, and 1. And Fran and I went and watched her games. Well, it, there, there were breaks between the games, so I, I actually went out to the car and, Ran out and, and went somewhere for about an hour and, and then came back. And, you know, downtown Milwaukee, it was, it was packed downtown Milwaukee to the point that I had to circle a little bit to try to find a, a parking space. And what I saw as I was down there Saturday morning is lots and lots of people. It looked like a lot of adults, um, with children in tow, but a number of them had the different gun control sort of signs. And so there was, there was this march and this protest or call for you know gun control measures that was in Milwaukee of course there there was a bigger one that drew you know hundreds of thousands of people in Washington DC and then there were you know there were others in you know Boston New York Chicago Houston um big cities all based on this this impetus that's come after the Parkland shooting now it's been interesting because there are some conservatives and republicans who are just kind of sticking their heads in the sand saying okay this is no different these these things come and they go look you had the million you know woman march well back when and you know that thing kind of fizzled you know you've had some of the various you know protests over the years and those kind of fizzle um this one might fizzle as well and then you've got other people saying, no, 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 this is a turning point. This is young voters. They're going to be able to mobilize people. And then, of course, you've got some of the more militant people on either side, the NRA digging in, saying, you know, and, and going after some of the kids that are participating in this, and, and some of the hardcore gun banning groups saying, okay, this is a definitive time. Now we're going to take guns out of the hands of people and start looking at redoing the Second Amendment. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And again, at the risk of perhaps antagonizing some people. I think when it comes to the issue of gun control or crime control, there there are measures that people should be able to agree on. And unfortunately, both sides appear to be so dug in that we can't come to reasonable agreements on stuff. For for example, I, I think one of the things that we all should agree on is that people who are potentially dangerously mentally ill should not have access to firearms, right? Could we all agree with that? All right, if, if you've got somebody that's talking about killing themselves or killing other people, they shouldn't have access to guns. Could we agree? Um, There's a number of states that are looking at what they call red flag laws. A red flag law is where a family member or a friend or a school instructor or someone who can come forward and say, you know, Gru has been talking crazy. You know, that, that, that Gru guy, you know, he's been saying how he wants to kill himself or kill other people. And you could use that to go in and get an injunction, which temporarily would stop the person who's the subject of this injunction from being able to legally get a gun. Now, I understand. I'm not stupid. I understand that there's places where you could maybe go and get guns on the black market and stuff like that, but at least it's something. You know, we talked the other day about universal background checks. Uh, Universal background checks are not a silver bullet when it comes to gun violence. But at the same time, 
I don't know if it if it does stop somebody who's not legally allowed to have a firearm from getting one. Is it really that much of a burden to say if federal if you buy a gun from a federally licensed dealer, you got to run a background check. If you buy it, for example, at a gun show from somebody who's not a licensed dealer that you don't. I mean, does it would that be that much of an imposition? Um, Could we accomplish something? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see something get done? Are there things that people can come together on in this area and say, okay, this isn't necessarily going to stop a school shooting, but it's something that ends up making sense? Is there some form of common sense gun control that people on the left and on the right should be able to agree to. And I think when you're talking about universal background checks or or red flag laws, you know, injunctions that would stop dangerously mentally ill people from getting a gun at least for a period of time, I I think that kind of stuff makes sense. And maybe this is a time for people on both sides of the aisle to come together and say, look, there's stuff that we can do that's not going to interfere with the Second Amendment right. We're not going to go confiscate guns. I mean, my problem, and I've said this before on the radio, that for people who say, well, the, those AR-15, the semi-automatic rifles, they, they, you know, we, we, gotta, we, we have to get them out of society. Well, there's 8 million of them. You know, we're not going to confiscate guns. I, that's just not going to happen. But maybe, maybe we can say, you know the, these bump stocks, these things that you can buy for fifty bucks that take an otherwise legal firearm and tra- turn it into a machine gun, which people aren't legally allowed to buy unless they get all sorts of permits. You know, maybe we don't need that. Is this a time to get something done? And if so, what? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or is this just going to? You know, fade away. Oftentimes, these marches, these movements, they get a lot of attention, and then they just fade away. Is this an opportunity to get something done? 414-799-1620. And my answer is I hope so, because I think there are reasonable things that everybody should be able to agree on. What do you think? 414-799-1620. This is big story number two. It's 1244. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Here's a text. I find it interesting that we didn't have these protests during the last administration. It's all political theater for the midterms. You can tell this by the lack of focus on legally possessed weapons that are involved in far more shootings. Actually, that is a very, very good point. And again, I didn't fall off the turnip truck here. Um, I... This this is a midterm thing. I saw a lot of the signs that were being taken to, for example, the rally in downtown Milwaukee. That this was vote them all out. I mean, this is again trying to co-opt the the gun control issue to try to elect Democrats in the midterms. I get that. Didn't fall off the turnip truck. I understand that. And yes, one thing that was missing from these rallies is if you want to look at gun violence, it would have been interesting to see these speakers denounce. The, the shootings that go on on a, a daily basis in urban and suburban areas all across the country. I mean, the carnage you have from the homicides, and, and that's that's not, oh, the AR-15 type of stuff. I mean, it would have been interesting to hear 
some conversations about that because, yes, I understand the kids live in fear that you might have that crazy shooter that comes in and shoots up the school. But statistically, if you're looking about gun violence, the chances of that happening are, are much, 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 much slimmer than you know somebody getting shots on the mean streets of Milwaukee or Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or Houston or, or whatever. And that was interestingly missing from these rallies. So that's a fair criticism. But at the same time, all right, is are there things that we could reasonably do to say, oh, okay, it's not going to necessarily stop school shootings, but it makes sense. Let's start with Jake in Sockville. Jake, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I, this is the problem. What I see is that, you know, this kid in Florida, when he shot up school, how many times did he call get called by the police? You know, yeah. so it's like all these times that people called him for you know, right. weird stuff or violence and just not cooperating with the police, I think, you know, that should be on somebody's record when purchasing a firearm. Number yeah, two. Yeah, so let me stop you right there. Yeah, that's what they talk about as yeah. being these red flag laws where you have somebody like this who's saying these type of things. You can right. go in and you can get a temporary injunction. Now, again, maybe that's only worth the paper it's printed on, but that would, would stop him from being able to purchase firearms and maybe even confiscate the guns he has while this moves right. through. I think that makes sense. I mean, is it an, impos- is it an inflict- infringement on people's rights to an extent? Yeah, but you got somebody talking about shooting up schools. I, I Take their guns away until yeah. we figure out if they're serious or not. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's what would be the number one thing. You know, that that was the number one problem that I see. You know, it's like, you know, the thing with Maryland, you know, it's like with this, with this pistol thing. And, it, you know, he was using a pistol, not an AR. So right. it's, it's all different in that sense. So that would be, be number one, I think, that should be done. Good enough. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. See, and, I, again, I think that, I mean, I think it is an opportunity. You're, you're never – is there a political element to this? Of course there's a political element to it. I mean, I, I understand that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean it's, it's not an opportunity for people of goodwill to come and say, all right, let, let's take a look at stuff and, and let's try to live in the real world. Okay, here, here's here's the real world. You're not going to confiscate 8 million AR-15s. You're, you're, you're not. And I think you could make a strong argument that there's no reason to do that because, yes, even though this is the firearm of choice in the handful of, of mass shootings, the vast majority of those AR, you know, 7.99999 million of them are, are in the hands of people who aren't going to create problems with that. So, you know, maybe we need to focus on, on that small percentage that does. But, you know, the bump stock thing, that makes sense to me. Uh, the red flag laws, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, universal background checks, I don't... I don't guess I just don't have a problem with that. I guess I kind of look at it and say, well, if I if I buy a gun from Gru, who's a licensed dealer, and he's got to run a background check to make sure that I'm not a felon or make sure that I'm not on some list somewhere about being a dangerously mentally ill person, why should I be able to circumvent that by buying a gun off of of Craigslist, um, especially? since it's just a phone call that you end up having to make. Now, I understand it leads to other questions. How do you prove that you did that? How long do you have to keep the records? I, but isn't that stuff that you could work out? Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I, I just wanted to, to uh, uh, sort of correct you that when you go to a gun show and you buy from a dealer, there is a background check. Right, as long as it's a licensed firearms dealer. Uh, yes. 
Yeah, but it, let's say let's say though that I'm I'm not a federally licensed dealer. Okay. Yes, if you're a federal licensed dealer, it doesn't matter whether you sell at a gun show or not. But let, I'm not a dealer. So let's say I've got ten guns that I have in a collection that I want to sell. I'm not a firearms dealer. Um, I don't have to run background checks. At least that's my understanding. That's right? true. I, right. I, I thought I understood you to say before that uh, that the dealers did not have to no. run a gun. No, no. If I said that, Dave, I, I misspoke. That's right. The, the, what they call the gun show loophole is the fact that people show up at gun shows. And, and look, this this is a very, very small percentage of the guns that end up getting used in, in crimes. All right. That, uh, you know, generally, if you're looking to buy a crime gun, you're, you're not showing up at Bob Pucci's. As a, you're not going to show up at Bob Pucci's thing, you know, at the Waukesha County Fairgrounds. That That's not... That is, as a general rule, not where the crime guns are, are coming from, all right? That's just the reality of this. But the way the law works is if you are a licensed federal firearms dealer um, and you sell a gun, whether you sell it at a gun show or whether you sell it out of your store or whatever, you have to run a background check. On the other hand, if you just you, – you sell guns privately. You don't sell enough guns that you're be tra- classified as a dealer – um, and you show up and you rent a table at a gun show, you're not a f- licensed federal firearms dealer, you do not have to run the background check. Um, so I, I guess that's the, that's what they call the gun show loophole. I just I don't find it to be that necessarily restrictive on these things. So bottom line is, and I, I just, this is one where, do I think this will stop? If, if you do some of the stuff, do I think it will um, stop the mass shootings? No, I, I I don't. But it seems to me these are common sense sort of things. And maybe this is something that, you know, if the left would stop pushing so hard for stuff that's just not realistic and not going to happen, and if, if people on the right would sit back and say, you know, um, all right, we appreciate the Second Amendment, and, you know, we're not going to allow universal registration or we don't want people seizing guns but you know maybe somebody who's dangerously mentally ill um maybe we should be able to flag that person and and stop them from being able to legally get guns at least until we can determine whether they've got a problem i don't think that is an unreasonable sort of thing at all just saying it's twelve fifty-five. stick around jeff wagner wtmj and by the way coming up um well within the next half hour or so if you are looking for another reason to hate the Minnesota Vikings, I've got a story for you. If you want to get a little bit head start on that and see the photograph that, well, if you've got 130 bucks burning a hole in your pocket, you can have, um, if you text the word BAR, B-A-R-R, you need two R's, as in Anthony Barr, the Vikings linebacker who took what I believe was the cheap shot on Aaron Rodgers, um, B-A-R-R, 414-799-1620. I'll send you a link to the story. We're going to discuss it in the next half hour of the program. Big story number three is coming up first. We're talking trade war. Stick around. It's 1256. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you want another reason to hate Vikings fans, text me the word bar, B-A... You're smiling, Eric. <laughs> we need more reasons? It, well, th- this is a pretty <laughs> darn good one. Um, 
I, I, I'll, I'll tell stories when we get to the segment. Text me the word BAR, B-A-R-R, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And uh, I'll send you the link to the story talking about, well, one hot item um, for Minnesota Vikings fans to purchase. Let me tell you this. It wouldn't be going up on the wall of my house. I can guarantee you that. We'll get to that in just a minute. Barr, B-A-R-R. It's after Anthony Barr, who was the Vikings player who took what I continue to believe was an unnecessary cheap shot, ended Aaron Rodgers' 2016 season. So um, for anybody who thinks that, gee, Vikings fans might have felt really bad about that, um, and other players don't relish hurting other players. Check it out. We'll talk that story about the story in a minute. But text me the word bar, B-A-R-R, to 414-799-1620, and I will uh, send you the net link. All right. The stock market having a good day today. It is up 400. The Dow is up 477 points, which is about a 2% increase. Um, who knows where it's going to be when it closes a little less than two hours from now. But that follows one of the worst weeks in a long time. Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 1,400 points last week, shed over 1,100 points in the past two trading days. If you don't understand, why do people care about the stock market? Well, it's because lots and lots of people have money tied up in the stock market. Maybe you don't own stocks individually, but you own stocks, um, I don't know, through your 401k plans or maybe your uh, pension place owns stocks. So I mean, it, it makes a big difference. Now, on a 1,400-point drop comes after what's been a pretty strong run-up, but right now, at least as of this morning, uh, the Dow was in negative territory for the year. So all these different gains disappeared. There's a couple reasons why the Dow took a dump last week. One of the reasons is all the problems with Facebook. Facebook is a huge component of, of actually the, um, you know, Facebook is actually NASDAQ, right? Um, so Facebook is is a huge factor. So what happened is you had all the problems with Facebook with regard to where they selling people's information. So Facebook ended up, uh, again, taking a big hit because of that. But the other reason, and perhaps the more dominant reason why the Dow went into the tank was the simple fact that President Trump started moving towards enacting these tariffs that he'd been talking about for, well, back in the campaign, but it become a reality over the course of the last couple weeks and talking about a, a trade war. Remember, President Trump is the one saying, hey, I, I, I want fair trade, and the U.S. is getting messed over, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to start imposing tariffs on various countries. Well, the problem is that when you start talking about that, and the president says, well, I, I, I think trade wars are good, and they're easily won. Huh. Well, what happened is, like late well, last week, China said, okay, you know, you are going to, if you put on $60 billion in tariffs on stuff that China is exporting to the United States, China, to the surprise of no one, says, okay, fine, we are going to respond. And, you know, we're going to target. Interestingly, what China was doing is they were targeting, we're going to target different industries that we import stuff from the United States. Um, particularly industries where we bring the stuff in from the United States, but, 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 we could get from other places. So if you're going to go after us, we're going to respond. 
and it was things like again agricultural products um us farmers sell to give you an idea 12.4 billion dollars in soybeans to china okay they don't have to buy soybeans from us farmers they could buy them for example from brazil um us suppliers supply 1 billion dollars in pork exports to china right china doesn't have to import this from the united states you could get the pork from canada you could get it from other places in europe as well plus what china has started doing is they've said look if you actually go ahead and put on these tariffs we're going to start targeting and it's actually it's a very clever strategy they're going to start targeting states that Donald Trump won in 2016, like Wisconsin, and targeting exported products from Wisconsin, cranberries, Harley-Davidson motorcycles, things like that. So what you've had happen over the course of the last week or two is the chickens have kind of come home to roost. This has nothing to do with the state of business, really. It's purely the political saber-rattling, and China is responding in a way that I think was completely and totally predictable. I mean, here's the bottom line. I think the president deserves credit for a number of different economic initiatives. The Tax Reform Act, I think, is going to work out extremely well, big picture, for the majority of people. I was talking to my accountant this morning. She was doing the 2017 taxes, and I, I think I might end up being a net loser in 2018, but that's okay because I think in general the tax reform packages in 2018, I, I think that's going to be good for the vast majority of people. But th- this idea uh, of just talking in sound bites and cartoon blurbs, you know, we need to have, you know, fair trade, not free trade, and we can implement these different things, and trade wars are easy to win. Well, you, you saw the effect of this last week when you saw the stock market go into the tank. And I think the bottom line is you need to be much more cautious and measured when you come to start fooling around with the global economy. On top of that, I will tell you, I don't know what an American-made good is anymore. You know, for example, let's take iPhones. iPhones are assembled in China, all right? So you could impose a tariff on that so the cost of us buying iPhones here in the United States would go up when China sends the iPhone back. But, 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 the metal, the materials that are used to construct the iPhone, that doesn't come from China. That comes from other places, including some from the United States. So what are we going to do? I mean, what what is something that you're really going to put a tariff on when the truth is we have a global economy and stuff go- that's... Where something is made doesn't necessarily mean what type of product it is. So big story number three, stock market coming back a little bit. It's now up 500 points for the day. That would be after a 700-point drop, um, 1,100-total-point drop over the last two days. That's good news. But the bottom line is you, you have to be very, very careful moving forward before you want to pick a fight. All right, when we come back, speaking of picking a fight, I have a close friend, close friend who is a Minnesota Viking fan. I'm curious how he feels about one of the latest must-have things for Vikings fans. 
Stick around. We'll talk about it. And if you want to see the story, text me the word BAR, B-A-R-R, to 414-799-1620. We'll discuss. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The games might not count in the standings, but they mean a lot when it comes to fine-tuning the Brewers. Opening day roster, Greg Matzik joins Gene Miller with the latest from Houston. Be sure to tune in at 7.51 a.m. tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right. Now, for I think many of us understood, and the reality was the Packers, who I think last year, I think they had a Super Bowl caliber team, um, but it pretty much ended in Week Six. Packers were four and one. They were playing um, Minnesota, their NFC North rival. They were playing in Minnesota. You remember that uh, Aaron Rodgers, who at the time was on on track for another MVP season, he kind of rolls out to his right, and what happens is the Vikings linebacker Anthony Barr goes running at him, um, hits him, drills him into the turf. I mean, just and and smashes his shoulder into the ground. You know, you you could have made that play in a number of other ways, but I I think Anthony Barr was trying to if not hurt Aaron Rodgers, hit him really hard to, I don't know, make Rodgers gun shy or whatever. I personally think it was a a dirty hit. I thought he should have been penalized and suspended. Uh, Referees saw it another way. No flag was thrown. Rodgers broke his collarbone. We all, Brett Huntley was not ready to play quarterback, and we all know where the Packers season, you know, ended, swirling around that certain bowl. All right, now here's the story. Journal Sentinel first reported this, but we have a link on our page. The um, the way they describe it is the memory lives on for Vikings fans. A memorabilia store in the Twin Cities is cashing in on that moment. For now, if three weeks ago, if you wanted to buy this, it would have cost you ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents plus tax, because demand is so high. It now costs you $129 if you want to buy it. Supply and demand, things are going up. For $129, you can go into a sports memorabilia store in Minneapolis, and you can purchase a framed, unsigned photograph. The photo, I will describe this, shows Anthony Barr, who was the Vikings linebacker, kind of, you know, um, getting ready to get high-fived. He's walking away proudly. Aaron Rodgers on his back after having, you know, broken his collarbone. The caption, the photo nameplate, the purple and yellow framed photo has a nameplate. The nameplate says, Anthony Barr, number 55, tough break Aaron. Anthony Barr, number 55, tough break Aaron. So we are celebrating the fact that Aaron Rodgers was injured on this play. Okay, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, it is, I understand, unfair perhaps to try to take all Minnesota Vikings fans and based on this, lump them into one giant, what would Hillary Clinton say? Oh, yes, basket of deplorables. All right, so I'm not suggesting that all Vikings fans belong in that basket of deplorables. But for people who are purchasing this, I get that football is a violent game, but 
what type of person seriously goes out and, and buy spends 130 bucks on a piece of memorabilia a photograph celebrating the injury an injury caused by one of your players to one of the best if not the best player in the game i would describe this in two words maybe it's a hyphenated word no class i think that's two words but whether it's two words no class or no dash class it's a no class piece of memorabilia and somebody who would pay $130, that's probably God's way of telling you you got too damn much money, but somebody who would pay $130 for this piece of memorabilia, I think has issues. All right, is this fair game? Would you put something like this up on your wall if the situation had been reversed? I'm not sure I've ever seen anything like this where you are celebrating an injury to another player. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Kim in Sturgeon Bay. Hi, Kim. Hello. Okay, no class. Is this Who Who would put something like this up on their wall, much less spend $130 to buy it? Well, I think someone totally ignorant. I think it's lower than low class. Like I said, I remember Haldo, when he took up, when Martin took out Herbal, I didn't think that was a class act either, but you didn't see the Packers making pictures of it or celebrating it. Right. If you celebrate someone else's injury, that just shows me you have more issues going on than people know. <laughs> yeah, here I have a text. Why are Packers fans such whiners? When Charles Martin stares, slams down Jim McBann after the play, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Bunch of whiners. No, that's not the case. I remember that. I think people were appalled with that. That was one of the concerns a lot of us had about that whole team, that it wasn't, they didn't play like the Packers should play, that it was a bunch of thugs. That was, I think, a, a part of the thing that started a fan revolt. Nobody would put that up on their wall. Not if you had any class or any amount of brains. Um, thanks to call no, four one. I mean, who would spend a hundred? <laughs> that's that's uh, that's it. Okay, here's Kevin from Belgium. You know how the joke goes? What's the smallest room at Viking Stadium? It's the trophy room. Ooh 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 ooh. Um, well, I guess the the guy got hurt. You're talking about one of the best players in the game, and you're celebrating the fact that he has been injured now. Who does that? Now, again, I understand it's not fair to lump all the Vikings fans into this giant basket of deplorables, but demand for this is so high that they've they've been able to raise the price from a hundred bucks to one hundred thirty bucks in three weeks. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon, Chip. Hi, Dave. Um, well, we all know the you know the, the class of people. Uh, there's always a market for something like this. It's unfortunate for everybody. But what will happen now that, you know, you know, you're bringing attention to it, I'm sure other people have brought right. attention to it, there's going to be a cease and desist on this. It's an image drawn from somebody who may have had a press credential, for one thing, but you can't use images, depiction, uh, trade dress, trade logos in a picture like that. Only those images yeah. will come from a press. Uh, so it's something that will... Uh, yeah. Probably drive a, a cease and desist from the league. If that retailer does not respond to it, all these leagues, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, they are relentless and they go after them hard. They go after them. Right. And this is revenue and profit. And of course, Dave, I, I take the point you're making just in general. And this is also the type of thing I can't imagine that this is the type of thing that somebody like Roger Goodell, this is something the NFL would never 
ever sanction in of its on its own. I don't think. If they they can, they'll go back and they'll try and track where that picture came from. And if it came from somebody who had a press credential, that person will have their press credential pulled, and they yeah. won't be able to get it back for a given amount of time. Can you imagine who who spends one hundred thirty bucks for a picture like this? So that's the other thing that's mind boggling to me. Anybody, anybody who wants to make a buck. Yeah. No. Thank. No, thank. Thank. Right. No. Thank. Well, it is. It's just. It's uh, again. It's. And if you see the image, and again, if you text me the word bar, B-A-R-R, that's the guy's last name, you know, you, you, you can see the picture. But Rogers, you know, Rogers is on his back. He's been knocked out essentially for the season. I know he came back for the one game. And the guy is kind of celebrating that this hit. I think it was a cheap shot. I understand there's some people who say, well, no flag got thrown. It was, if not dirty, it was unnecessarily. I mean, he was trying to hurt Aaron Rodgers. And I guess, you know, you, you hear all this talk about how these football players are a band of brothers and stuff. The guy was trying to hurt Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, who's going to put that up on their wall? I mean, I look, I, I get... I get you want, you know, interesting photographs from football games and basketball games. I understand the man cave thing. You're going to pay, pay 130 bucks for a photograph of someone hurting Aaron Rodgers. I stick with my original point. No class. It's 136. Spring training in Arizona may be done, but about done. Actually, it is done. But the Brewers are in Houston to put the finishing touches on the exhibition season before Thursday's opener. Jeff Levering and Lane Grindle are on the call as the Brewers take on the Astros from Minute Maid Park. You can hear it right here, 7 o'clock this evening. Yeah, game tonight, game tomorrow afternoon, off on Wednesday. Brewers open on the road. They almost never open on the road because they've got this dome and it's almost always, you know, at home. But this year they're opening on the road in San Diego of all places. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. I, I know the Lords of Baseball seem to know what they're doing, but you would think that given the fact that it's going to be late March, you would think that you would have the teams that play in warm weather cities or play in domes that they would be hosting the season openers. But no. We're going to send the Brewers out to San Diego and then come back for the home opener next Monday. But the uh, Brewers play on Thursday. That is the uh, opener of the regular season against San Diego. And then big doings um, Monday. Opening day is always sort of a, I guess it's it's not exactly a federal holiday, but it's a holiday around here. And, of course, we're going to be out there at the ballpark all day long. I'm going to be doing the interviews um, from the dugout during the morning show. So I'll be there from like 9 until 12 in the dugout. Um, I think our coverage starts right around 1230 or so. So I'm um, going to be a lot of fun, and it's great to have, just absolutely great to have baseball back. Okay, I, I swear, this. <laughs> there were two interesting stories, and they have an interesting, what I will describe as juxtaposition. Um USA Today um, periodically will feature abandoned things. Um, there's a book called Abandoned, it's a website called Abandoned America that documents defunct and decaying sites across the United States. And USA Today will, will feature different photos from that, that website. All right. So um, last month, they were showing images of factories and industrial sites that were in decline. This month for March, hand in the air, I swear, what they have is abandoned America. 24 photos from the trolley graveyard, right? They found the, this 
trolley graveyard in western Pennsylvania. And the, this is where it's got trolleys, streetcars, going back to, some go back to 1919, but many are from 1970 and 1980. The cars were all brought to this storage yard for storage, um, and the trolleys were, you know, never, never used uh, again. Um, the owner says, you know, the owner of the, the salvage yard says, yeah, people would drop these off. They say we're going to store them. Nobody ever used them uh, again. Um, and you just see one car after another. Cars from Philadelphia, Boston, Kansas City, one streetcar after another, abandoned, graffiti on them. Um, I don't know, weeds growing through the windows. It really, it's amazing to kind of look at, um, because, well, it's kind of like the ghost, I think, the ghost of Christmas future. Now, at the same time, USA Today is showing all these pictures of the trolley graveyard. We've got, all right, the, the breathless breaking news story that you're hearing on our air and you see on TV and it's featured in the newspaper. The first Milwaukee streetcar coming into downtown. It is being tracked by the media, similar to the way NORAD tracks Santa on Christmas Eve. You know, Santa's left the North Pole. Well, we're tracking the first of the these streetcars. Um, here's the way the Journal Sentinel breathlessly reports it. The first of Milwaukee's new streetcars arrived in town on Monday. Hooray! Hur- no, that's me adding hooray, hooray. The 67-foot-long streetcar, which weighs about 83,000 pounds, Designed to accommodate 100 to 120 to 150 people, has been traveling several days from its plant in Brookville, Pennsylvania. 120 to 150 people. In what world will will the city of Milwaukee ever have 120 to 150 uh, people on any one of these streetcars? The streetcar is set to roll off its truck on West St. Paul Avenue between North 2nd and 4th Street and then head inside the streetcar's adjacent operations and maintenance facility. Yeah, well, they they need the maintenance facility because the trolleys they have in Cincinnati have been breaking down right and left. The streetcar is the first of five vehicles, presumably all the same size, that could carry 120 to 150 people that is set to arrive. Mayor Tom Barrett said the streetcar is about economic development as well as transportation. He understands it's been politically divisive, but hopes the flop, I mean the hop, will win over its critics. Now, of course, streetcar rides are going to be free for the first year. Pottawatomie is underwriting this, so um, who knows? Washington, D.C., it's been free for three years, and they still can't get anybody to ride it. So they're, they're afraid to start charging because they figure the few people that are riding are going to stop completely, you know, if they end up having to pay. Um, let's see. Alderman Robert Bauman, who is almost always wrong, says that um, it, it's been too long since Milwaukee has had fixed rail transportation on the city streets. All right. The people that support this believe this is going to be an engine for economic development. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want you to look into your crystal ball. Like I say, it's an interesting dichotomy today because USA Today is highlighting abandoned America, this salvage yard that has abandoned trolley cars from all over the country that have been sitting there. Some go back to 1920, which is when the technology, you know, I guess, was around. Uh, some are from the 70s and 80s. 
all these streetcars are ending up again in the salvage yard. Look into your crystal ball. All right, 10 years from now, these trolleys that we are celebrating arriving today, are they going to be in service carrying 120 to 150 people along routes that there's all this economic development? Or are we going to have a bunch of holes in the street and a bunch of streetcars that, if not ready to hit this salvage yard in Pennsylvania, are close to it? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss next. It's 143. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Those things are awfully loud. It glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the truck could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us, Brendan Slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. I swear it's Springfield's only choice. Throw up your hands and raise your voice. What's it called? Once again. It's the ghost of Christmas past. If you're just tuning in today, the the first the first of what will be five of the trolleys, the streetcars from the flop, I mean the hop, was delivered to Milwaukee. And of course, the mayor is saying, "Oh, this is going to be this is the greatest thing since canned beer. We're going to have all this. There's going to be economic development, etc." Interestingly, USA Today is featuring this website called Abandon America. Um, they have this this month on Abandon America. They are highlighting this place in West, the salvage yard in western Pennsylvania where they've got trolleys from all over the country, some from the 1920s, but many from the 70s and 80s as communities that used to have these trolleys simply said, why would we have these and got rid of them? Milwaukee, of course, you know, we're tearing up the streets. We're spending tens of millions of dollars to put these cars in, cars that probably aren't going to run very well in the winter and that people aren't going to ride. Let's start with Chris in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Chris. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, First thing I'd like to point out, based on the initial pictures from this morning, is the irony that these were delivered on rubber, t- delivered via rubber-tired um, trucks. Uh, I thought that, that irony wasn't lost on a lot of people. Yeah, that, 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 um, that, that's right. We're spending all, we're spending tens of millions of dollars to go from this technology that people rejected in the 1930s um, that doesn't work today, and, and instead you could spend a fraction of that money and have rubber-tire buses that would accomplish the same thing for a fraction of the cost. Right. And 10 years, and honestly, 10 years from now, Jeff, I believe that these will be on our streets and they will most likely be running because Milwaukee, as you know, has a hard time letting go of nostalgia, historic things, things that are, have, you know, worn out their use or are broken down, things like the domes. Obviously, there is issues there, but yet we're still holding on to them. County Stadium, right. um, any, any, you know, City Hall building itself that's sinking, but no, we have to spend tens of millions of dollars to save that building instead of moving city hall, city hall elsewhere to where it's safer and less expensive. But it just seems like we'll hold on to this and we're going to subsidize it um, come heck or high water in the end. Well, thanks for calling. Here's where I disagree with you. Um, let's And, and I, I understand the basic premise. But, for example, the domes are iconic. The domes have been beloved for decades. And so there's a lot of people saying, okay, we've we got to figure out a way to save them because we, we love them. 
I don't think these streetcars have ever been beloved. I mean, I, I understand that Tom Barrett, and I understand that some big developers who want to, who think that maybe this is going to increase the value of property along the streetcar line, I understand they're pushing it. But here's what I think is going to happen, and I'm, I'm very sincere about this. Tom Barrett, God bless him, is not going to be around forever. Um, you know, is this going to be Barrett's last term? I don't know. Um, will the next one be Barrett's last term? Probably. I mean, I, I don't think there's any any way that you, you see Tom Barrett if he runs for re-election next year, it's it's probably going to be his his last term. So I mean, I think that's kind of the premise. Bar- Ten years from now, Barrett is going to be gone. A number of the aldermen who, if they're not already gone, who voted for this thing are going to be gone. So you're not going to have people that have this skin in the game. I think what's going to happen five, ten years from now is again, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. You're going to have this experience of these streetcars that don't perform well in the winter, um, that nobody is riding. And, and just like I say, in Washington, D.C., there, there, and where you have, you really do have a, a huge mass transit need. Well, okay, Washington, D.C., the ridership is grossly underperforming and they've been free for years. They're, and they, they have to keep coming out with it being free because they know that if they start charging, people aren't going to ride. At some point in time, Potawatomi is going to pull um, the free ride sort of thing, and they're going to have to start charging people money to get on. And once they start people charging people to money, money people money to get on, no, almost nobody is going to ride this thing. It's it's just flat not going to happen. So I think five years from now, you're going to have a lot of the people that push this that are going to be gone. You're going to have the new generation of leaders coming in, and they're going to be looking at this and saying, okay, now we are at the choice where do we throw good money after bad? And if you don't have that skin in the game, and this is what is happening in a number of communities where it's new leadership that's come in, um, they're not tied to the past. Tom Barrett can't back down on the streetcar. He can't back down on the trolley because he's politically invested in it. This is one of the things that he thinks is going to be his legacy. Well, the next mayor may or may not have that baggage around his neck, so if it or her neck. So if it turns out that the streetcar ends up being the disaster that a lot of us think it is, all right, somebody might say, okay, we, we did this, it doesn't work, it's not my fault, I'm actually going to be the one that cleans up the mess, and let's recognize that this was a white elephant. I don't know if that's going to happen five years from now or ten years from now, but I think the odds are 80-20 that within the next, I don't know, 15 years, it's a lot greater that these streetcars that are being delivered today with so much fanfare are going to end up in that sal- salvage yard in western Pennsylvania or one like that than it is that they're going to be successfully you know, featured as this is the way we turned around the city. 414-799-1620. Tom in Greenfield. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jeff. I'd have to agree with you, but I'm going I'm to give it less than that. I'm going to say three to five years. <laughs> you you think it's going to be a bust that fast? Well, I think so, and you know what? I will I can't afford to go to the casino right now, and I won't be able to go, uh, <laughs> afford to go to the casino on, in the future when uh, when uh, what's it called the Potomatomy ain't um, getting their money or whatever it is. Uh, they're going to have to take the purse strings and everything else, and this thing won't be able to go to Potomatomy or or any of these other places because. There won't be nobody riding this thing, and it'll be stuck somewhere. Well, well, right. I mean, well, thanks. I mean, it, it, once you start charging, I think it's going to drop off. Okay, our text. My dad tells me how excited they were to get rid of the streetcars in the 60s, uh, presumably because they were making traffic downtown very, very difficult. Um, Casey in Watertown raises an interesting point. 
anybody who rides that could be a sitting duck for theft, mugging, and crime. Um, that's, that is going to be an issue as well. I assume they have all sorts of security plans on these things because the last thing you need is – there's, there's two things that I don't think it's going to be a success – but if people start getting targeted to be, I don't know, robbed or assaulted, either on the thing or at the stops, it's going to be bad. Secondly, and this is going to be another issue they're going to have to deal with, if the panhandlers take this over, if if free rides and what you find is, gee, it, it's cold in the winter, and on the days when they can suddenly figure out how to make this run, you get on this, anybody that wants to get on it finds that it's, you know, people who are, the same people that sit at the second floor of the library to try to stay warm, that those are the folks that are riding this. Well, I I suspect that that's going to help kill this as well. Again, maybe I'm going to be wrong. Maybe 15 years from now, people are going to be saying, oh, that Tom Barrett, he was such a visionary, um, that the hop is the greatest thing since canned beer. This is just what the city need. Look, this revitalized it. Okay, that might be the case. I think it's going to be, what was that? Was it the flop? What were they thinking when they decided to invest all this money in technology that was really going out of style in 1920? It's 155. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of stuff still coming up on today's program. Robin Voss, he gets criticized for criticizing a liberal Dane County judge, transgender troops in the military, and much, much more. Stick around. Plus, one guy who wants to be in the U.S. Senate well, you can pick your friends, you can't pick your family. We'll talk about that when we come back. It's 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two oh eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ here's the text. Somebody needs to look at Kenosha. Every point you've made about Milwaukee Streetcar is proving to be correct about Kenosha. Homeless people riding, yes. Bums riding, yes. More circuits made with no riders than anyone on it. It has been a really lame amusement park ride. Yeah, and this is Kenosha. See, in Kenosha, they don't even try to run it in the winter. January, February closed. March, 10 until 2 during the week. And April through December, 11 in the morning till 6.35. And and that's it. And, of course, it becomes what we would call um, the air trolley or the airbus meaning it's doing nothing but carrying air. I, You know, we'll, we'll know in 10 years, but for people who think, see, I think the, the end of this is going to come quicker because, like I say, once the current leadership in Milwaukee cycles out, once Tom Barrett leaves office, and, and maybe this is his last term, if not next time, it'll probably be his last term, once that ends after five years, once the aldermen who have voted for this thing once they and it was a it was a contested battle. It was sort of contentious. Uh, it would have probably, in my opinion, been rejected. Except what they did is they promised some aldermen, "Hey, don't worry, you're not getting anything from this, but we'll we'll extend it. We'll run it into some of your districts as well." Well, that doesn't appear to be happening because there's no money out there to do that, and I don't think anybody anytime soon is going to throw good money after bad. I, I think a lot of the aldermen that supported it will cycle out. Um, and pretty soon there's not going to be anybody who has a, a, a again, they, they don't have a horse in the race. So I think I would not be surprised to see the streetcar fail faster than perhaps people thought, especially once folks don't have that investment. All right. There was a real interesting story in the Journal Sentinel over the weekend that I, I think underscores how perhaps clueless people can be. 
And, and it's this interview with the, the executive, and I don't mean him, I mean other people. It's the executive, uh, Louis Wu, who is at Foxconn, and he's like the number two guy to the guy that runs Foxconn. And, and he's sitting there doing an interview. And the story in the paper talks about how he says, you know, he, he really, before coming to Wisconsin, they, they didn't do this lengthy study, or at least he didn't, of Wisconsin's political scene. But one of the questions the reporter from the Journal Sentinel says is, are, are you surprised that this has been as controversial as it is. You surprised the again turn on the TV news or turn on the radio news and, and hear all the all the whining and the complaining and the, you know the allegations that are made about Foxconn. And the guy's response is this: He says, "I'm very surprised. I thought we should be welcomed by both sides of the aisle, no matter the groom side or the bride side. Both would say, well." This is a great guy to marry into my family. And the guy said, look, I, I understand that we're getting $3 billion, and that's a lot of money. But the way the deal is structured is is it's pay as you go, with Foxconn getting paid as it performs its terms of creating jobs. Wu said that that will be at least 13000 if not more. And he said they're, invests, they're planning on investing, um, you know, in this $10 billion display panel factory. And he says, look, $10 billion is a lot of money. The way I look at it, it's a co-investment. He says, no, look, I, I understand that there's, you know, we, we make, you know, the, the panel screens for TVs and, um, you know, it's potentially a risky business. So people, you know, things might not necessarily work out as we hope, but, you know, we're putting a ton of money into this, you know, up front. And yes, we will get money if we create jobs, but we're not going to get money if we fail. So um, Foxconn announced that they plan to break ground in Mount Pleasant within 60 days. They expect factory operations to begin in 2019. He says, I, I would say probably the second half of 2019 just to be safe. But, you know, we're we're anticipating, you know, that this is going to be, Really kind of not a game, only a game changer for the state, but it's going to be great for us as well. All right. In the last segment, I admit I was the glasses half full, half empty guy. You know, we were looking at this new streetcar thing, and I say new because again, it's technology from the early 1900s. Um, but, but I don't think that's going to work. I think it is going to be a huge failure. Foxconn, on the other hand, is getting ready to break ground. They are going to be putting it's going to be a $10 billion facility. They are investing a ton of money into building the facility. So you're going to have construction jobs. You're going to have suppliers of materials. You're going to have a lot of people making money before even the first TV panel is produced. If we look ahead five years from now, 10 years from now, are we going to say, just like I think many of us say with Miller Park, Gee, I remember, remember the controversy with Miller Park. I think most people now, not all, but I think most people look at Miller Park and say, yeah, it's a pretty good deal. You know, it's it's worked out pretty well. It was a pretty good investment. I think with the streetcar, we're going to look back sooner rather than later, just shake our heads and say, what could the politicians have been thinking? I think with Foxconn, we are going to five or ten years from now be looking at that facility and saying, what was all the controversy? Who really opposed this? Was this 
nothing but political gamesmanship? Or are we going to be saying, boy, the taxpayers of the state really got screwed over? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Foxconn is going to be breaking ground on their facility in, in maybe 60 days. They're going to be putting a ton of money up front into building the plant. Is Foxconn, five years from now, are we going to be saying an incredible success? Or is it going to be the streetcar? 414-799-1620. I'm voting on on success. And I understand the guy from Foxconn just kind of shaking his head saying, I just do not understand why there are all these naysayers that are out there. You know, we're, yeah, it's a risky partnership, but we're bringing jobs. Will Foxconn be a success? Look into your crystal ball. 414-799-1620. My answer is not just yes, but heck yes. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We talk Foxconn in just a moment. 214, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just two more days until Insight 2018. Still a handful of tickets remaining. It's a rare chance to get a behind-the-scenes look at how we put the show together and be in the room to hear from notables, newsmakers, uh, starting with our headliner, Governor Scott Walker. We're going to be talking to him about his bid for re-election and the, the Trump effect in Wisconsin in 2018. Reserve your tickets by heading to WTMJ.com. Do it now. All right. The, the newspaper does an interview with the number two guy at Foxconn, who's been one of the point people on on this project. The Foxconn groundbreaking facility for their $10 billion factory is going to be in about 60 days. They hope to be producing stuff by the second half of next year. The plan is at least 13,000 jobs. Maybe it'll develop, maybe not. But the guy from Foxconn, it, it's sort of an interesting thing. He says, I, I you know, I, well, one of the things we don't get is why why it is so hostile. Um, you know, you would think that it's kind of like going to a wedding, you know, bride side, groom side, but everybody say, oh, he's a good guy. We're, we're glad he's getting married. That's an interesting analogy. And I firmly believe that this is not about Foxconn. This is not about Foxconn. What this is about is the fact that you have people who hate Scott Walker. That's what this is, pure and simple. They hate Scott Walker, and they don't want to see Scott Walker do anything that's going to get any sort of credit at all for, you know, this. So the idea is, now we're going to move on. 414-799-1620, Al in Shorewood. Al, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. Um, I am just curious to know whether or not Foxconn, the Chinese company, will own the land that they are building on or whether it will be leased by the state. And if it, if they do own it, could it be repurposed and or sold at a much much greater profit once the technology that utilizes what they're planning to uh, produce on that land uh, leaps forward and we no longer need these screens? Kind of like sound technology that started with uh, clay records and then went to plastic records and then went to tape and then went to cheap little discs and now you can download it without any material at all. Don't you think, right? I mean, the, the whole, I mean, obviously businesses come in and out. I mean, the uh, blockbuster video, classic example, you know. 25 mm-hmm. years ago, a blockbuster video was a license to print money. Now, good luck trying to find a video store. I mean, I, I know they exist. Um, at the same time, don't you think it's reasonable to expect that maybe some of these companies moving forward are, are going to adapt and, and try to figure out what 
what the next mousetrap is they need to build? Well, yes, but what I'm saying is the land that they're building on is some of the best farmland in the country. I mean, it is worth a lot of money, and as the population continues to grow, we're going to need to produce more food and uh, obsolete technology taking up this prime real estate doesn't make sense to me. Well, you say prime real estate. I mean, a lot of it was a lot of the stuff they bought was was vacant or you know wasn't being worked. You're saying in the future maybe that would be the case, huh? Well, yeah, location, location, location. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I mean, yeah, I, yes, right. But at the same time, <laughs> that's one of the issues that the the vacant you know agricultural land that Foxconn was buying, you know, was going for. I don't know, $4,000 to $10,000 per acre. You know, Foxconn, you know, it, it, it's now the value has gone up to $50,000. So I, I think that, you know, you're seeing, or $40,000 or whatever the range would be, you're, you're seeing kind of that higher purpose now, at least from a real estate perspective, it's worth a lot more as a Foxconn facility. Now, you know, what happens if 20 years down the road, we're not watching TVs on TV screens anymore, we're watching... I, I I don't know. I don't know where that's going to be. And you, you can't guarantee, I guess, that at some point in time, the product's not going to be obsolete. But I guess my point would be just because we, we one day might not be driving cars or just because at one point in time, one day we might not be using iPhones anymore. You know, we, we might we might not be using this type of phones, the handheld phones anymore. Maybe it's going to be a microchip in our fingers or something. That doesn't mean to me that Gosh, if you've got a chance to get, for example, a, an Apple manufacturing plant or something, that we would say no. Bottom line is, I just, I, I hate to be in a situation where people are rooting against the success of the state. And yet that is precisely what a large number of Democrats are doing. And it's not because Foxconn, they think in their heart of hearts that it's a bad deal. If Jim Doyle had put this to been together, you know the same people that have had all these objections would be turning cartwheels saying this is the greatest thing in the world. But it's because it's Scott Walker that you end up rooting against it. If I was a Milwaukee Democrat, and with the exception of Jason Fields, and I'm not sure anybody else, everybody voted against this. And now people are saying, well, we, we need to figure out a way to get on the gravy train. We need to get unemployed workers from the city of Milwaukee to Foxconn. Well, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that, but it's tough to take you too seriously when you've been doing nothing but oppose Foxconn. This is one where I, I think you need to get on the trolley. I'd like to see people get on the Milwaukee trolley, but nobody's going to because it doesn't go anywhere. 223, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. He was in the recording studio with the Beatles, was elbow to elbow with Elvis, had a decades-long partnership with Glenn Campbell, legendary songwriter. Jimmy Webb is sharing some behind-the-scenes stories. When he comes to Milwaukee next month, he'll give Gene Miller a sneak preview tomorrow at 640 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Okay, Gru, who's producing the show today? Test and every day. Test. Jimmy Webb, you know, you know, um, any of the songs he might have done? Okay. This is, you're shaking your head. No, this is kind of a generational thing because my question is going to, I'm going to tell you some of the songs that he wrote and then I'm going to ask you whether you've ever heard of these songs. Um, by the time I get to Phoenix, you've never heard of by the time I, by the time I get, okay. Um, Wichita lineman. You've never heard of that. Have you heard of Glenn Campbell? You've heard of Glenn. Okay. Well, by the by the time I get to Phoenix, that was his first big song, Wichita Lineman, a Galveston. You ever heard of Galveston, the song? Nope, never heard of that. 
Um, MacArthur Park. Ever heard of MacArthur Park? You've never heard of MacArthur Park? Yeah. That cake left out in the rain. Um, up, up and away. You ever heard of that? Up, up and away. No, you never heard of that either? <laughs> See, Belinda's singing it here. You've... Yeah, you can turn on your microphone there if you're going to sing. If you're going to do it, come on, let's no, go. No, no, no. Come on, now. you were serenading <laughs> me. Come on, here. You know that's that's okay. <laughs> In my beautiful, my beautiful balloon. There you go, up, up and away. See, okay. All right. <laughs> there you, there you go. Okay, so uh, all right, so he, again, the, the, I do these segments every because I mean, Glenn Campbell. Okay, you've heard of Glenn? I mean, that was it. I mean, his his first big tune was "By the Time I Get to Phoenix" and "Wichita Lineman." You heard of Wichita Lineman, there, Belinda? No, but I've heard of Galveston. You've heard of Galveston. Yes. How about "By the Time I Get to Phoenix"? You ever heard of that one? I'm not. I don't think so. Okay, uh, MacArthur Park. Yes. Okay. See, well, okay. You're you're bad at least like five hundred here. Good old Gru is like looking at me <laughs> incongruously. I mean, where is this all coming from? I, in any event. I digress. But the guy that wrote all that, Jimmy Webb, he's coming to Milwaukee. And he's with Gene Miller tomorrow morning. So um, tune in. You should actually make a point of tuning in, Gru, and just kind of hearing some of those songs. Go, go check that out. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Gru, I know you work for her. So this is, I'm not going to put you on the spot. But it's, are you, you watch American Idol years ago. You Have you seen the current edition of American Idol? No, okay, but you haven't watched it. Um American Idol, which really was, it was an, an updated version of, gee, the, the old Ted Mac Amateur Hour. I mean, I, I can, you know, every once in a while, it seems that you have the, these contests, the, these shows where, uh, that was big in like the 40s and 50s, you know, the Amateur Hour singing, and then it falls out of favor, and then you have them bring it back. Um, the original American Idol on Fox um, appeared 2002 was the first year of it. That was the first season, and it ran through, um, let's see, 2015. Um, and and it 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 the first year was a little bit slow, but it it took off by the second year. Kelly Clark Clarkson won it the first year, and maybe she's still the most popular or the best best known of all the different winners. But um, the season finale. Now those are the numbers that I'm looking at. The the season finale. Of American Idol, the first year, 23 million viewers. Um, the second year, 38 million viewers, which is a ton. And then from 2003 through uh, 2011, um, the season finales of the show drew, on average, somewhere between 25 and 30 million people. A lot, 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 lot of, of people. Um and then it kind of, for a variety of reasons, I think some of the judges started leaving. It used to be, remember, you had Randy that nobody really cared about, and you had Paula, and you had Simon. People started leaving, and they started bringing new people in. And I think the format just got tired, and, and the ratings started to drop off to the point that um, by the end, now keep in mind, the second year, the season finale had $38 million. By January of 2016, the last year for the show, um, it had 13 million. So, I mean, a, a dramatic, dramatic drop. Um, American Idol is, of course, back again on this year on, on ABC, um, and it's just debuted. Uh, it's up on Monday nights against The Voice. 
Now, again, to give you an idea, and, and I'm, to the extent I'm comparing apples and oranges because I, I'm looking at the season finales, but, I mean, it was not uncommon for American Idol to be drawing 25 to 30 million viewers, right? Now, admittedly, that's the season finale. This season is off to a very, very slow start. For example, last Monday night, which was the first night that the two shows, The Voice and American Idol, went head-to-head. American Idol drew 7.7 million viewers. The Voice picked up 10.7 million um, to win big. Idol dropped 11% compared with the previous weeks when the competitions had been head-to-head for the first time. So the, the bottom line of this is that American Idol... It doesn't have anywhere near the popularity that the first incarnation had. Now, this has a lot of people trying to figure out what's what's going on. Um, some people at ABC are saying the reason for the low ratings is, well, there's a couple things. You've got Ryan Seacrest, who's the MC. Ryan Seacrest, of course, who's kind of embroiled in, you know, allegations of sexual misconduct with, you know, his hairdresser or something like that. You've got Katy Perry, who's one of the judges who's involved in her whole series of, she's got litigation going against uh, a group of nuns, and one of the nuns dies in the courtroom. I mean, she's got that going on. There's the thing about how she gives the unwanted kiss to the guy. So some people at ABC in particular are saying, look, it's not a problem with the show. Um, the format's not tired. It's just that, well, Ryan Seacrest is controversial, Katy Perry is controversial, and we think everything is going to be okay. Right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just like Survivor, the TV show on CBS, was an incredible phenomena when it first debuted. Um, and Survivor doesn't do anywhere near the ratings now that it did back in the day. But it's still, I mean, it still has enough of an audience to have it continue. Fox essentially bailed on American Idol because they thought the format was tired and worn out and it had just kind of run its course. ABC is back with essentially the same version of American Idol. And so far, the ratings haven't been good. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you a fan of American Idol? Were you a fan of American Idol, and why do you think the show is struggling now? Again, I understand it's only been on for a few weeks, and and maybe it's going to kind of catch fire, and you're going to have this slow build. I don't think so, though. I think it pretty much is what it is, and that's something that I, I think, I don't think it's Ryan Seacrest. I don't think it's Katy Perry. I just think it's a format that's kind of worn out, and that happens from time to time. I think they brought it back too quickly. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you watch the current American Idol? Did you watch the old one? If you're not watching the current one, why not? What's the problem? Because this was going to be one of the big shows, and so far it hasn't taken off. We discuss next, 414-799-1620. I think this is a fascinating pop culture story. Stick around. It's 242 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 246 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I do admit to being intrigued by this because there was a time when friends of mine would have American Idol watch parties. 
I mean, I, I can remember. We, we all go over to my friend Tom and Meredith's house, and you sit there, and everybody would watch the, you know, would watch the different performances, and then you'd say, okay, who's going to get cut this week, and all that type of stuff. It, it was it was a big deal. It was kind of a, a sort of a phenomena, and then it kind of played it, its course out. You know, some of the judges, the Simon Cowles, they they left, and so that I think hurt the popularity, and, and eventually it it was canceled. So now they've brought it back after a very, very short time, and what they're finding is it's certainly not, at least at this point in time, it's not the ratings draw that it was before. And if it doesn't start out big, I mean, are they going to get a slow build? I kind of doubt that. Um, it's looking like it could be a flop. Some people are saying, well, it's because of Ryan Sequest, Sequest and his problems. Eh, I don't think so. I just think the format's kind of worn out. Tony on the northwest side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Jeff, What's going on? I watched on? that show when it first came out, and to me, Simon Cowell made that show. Right. People waited to see what he would say about the bad ones, and then when he left, you got everybody, you know, you didn't have the guy that would cut him down. Everybody would say, oh, you're okay, you're nice. But no, Simon told it like it was, and that's what people wanted to see. Right. No, I, I, no, thanks. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's kind of what made the... The, the thing, it was the entertainment, it was the judges, you know, how was Simon going to react with, you know, Paula Abdul and, you know, what, what, how many pills had she taken on a given night, all that kind of stuff, you know, was she going to be coherent or rambling? I know there's people who love Paula Abdul, but that's what made the thing entertaining in addition to the different performers. Um, I, I think it did go downhill after he left, but at the same time, let's face it, it's difficult to sustain you know, popularity for that period of time. I think people just get worn out with the, the formula. Stuff comes in, it's new. I was looking at Survivor. Um, Survivor debuted in 2000. The the finale, the first finale of Survivor, um, 51 million people. That was a phenomenon. Everybody just had to see what happened. Now the most recent one uh, that, that wrapped up in December of last year, eight, 8 million viewers. Um, Survivor was was number one. Now it's you know number, eh, it's between like twenty five and thirty in in the ratings, which is enough to to keep it going, and it has been enough to sustain it for a while. But the, the it's not the hit that it was anymore because again people kind of burn out on it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Linda in Milwaukee. Hi, Linda. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I just wanted to weigh in on this. Sure. I was a huge American Idol fan. I watched it from day one, season one, day one, until the very end when they stopped. Right. stopped so you would have been one of those people, like a lot of my friends, who would have watched it and then got on the, started texting each other, or emailing each other, or calling yeah. your friends, saying, hey, did, did you see how, you know, Louise sang? Wasn't she great yeah. or whatever? You were yeah. one of those people. Like, okay. I looked forward, it, forward to it every season. and. I liked the rotation of the judges, and it wasn't anything about the judges. It wasn't anything about Ryan Seacrest. Well, what happened was when it when the show canceled, I started watching The Voice, and I'm hooked on The Voice now, and I just can't. I don't have the time to watch two of those types of shows, and right. I love The Voice, so I am not watching American Idol. And, and I was kind of wondering why they didn't... Um, why they didn't open the first season when um, The Voice wasn't on. Right. Why, why bring it back and put them head-to-head -head and make right. people decide? Right, yeah. and they started after the, the Voice season started. So. Right. So in your case, you loved it, but if you have to choose between The Voice and American Idol, you're going with The Voice. Yes. Now yeah. I am. Now I'm a huge 
voice data. Interesting. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Yeah, see, I, I don't think it's Ryan Seacrest or Katy Perry or they're, you know, they're involved in scandals. I, I, I think they brought it back way too soon. I, I just, I just did. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Pat in Greendale. Hi, Pat. You're on WTMJ. Hi. What do you think? Um, yes, I'm a big American Idol fan from day one. Um, even when I was in the hospital, that was the show they knew not to bother me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the thing that I have a problem with is the length of time that they run these shows, including the voice. I watch the voice. It's a different format. Um, but it's two hours long. That's a long time. You know, you're missing other shows. Right. So, um, sometimes I just tape them and watch them later on. Right. Is it? Are they always two hours? Do they cut them down at some point in time? Well, like tonight, I think it might be an hour, but then now they're actually starting with the um, uh, putting the groups together. Right. So I'm going to say that's probably going to run two hours, too. But the voice does the same thing. You right. know, it's two hours, you know, and it's like, oh, come on. Well, you know, and I do. Right, and, commercials. <laughs> right. And, and there, no, there's a lot of padding. I do think. I do think tastes have changed a little bit, even just in the last 15 years. I think it's tougher for people to make those huge time commitments because there's so many other things that you can do. And I appreciate that's always been the case. But it's a lot to say to somebody, okay, you know, we want you to commit 90 minutes or two hours, you know, uh, uh, you know, of your life on a regular basis. I think a lot of people just, eh, I just don't want to get wrapped up in it because I don't have the time to do that. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. No, I, that, I think that could be something too. Um, but and again, I haven't watched America. I, I somewhere in the middle of the run, I I was never a huge American Idol fan, but I got I got caught up into the pop culture thing of it all. And, and somewhere in the middle of the run, where the people I was around, they, they kind of all just got a little bit bored with it, and so that that kind of ended it for me so i i started drifting away when a lot of other people started drifting away but i don't know how they bring people back elizabeth in pewaukee elizabeth you're on wtmj hi jeff hi elizabeth hi you know i don't think it's the format i think it's the judges because i was a long time fan of american idol Mm -hmm. and i think first like lionel richie is pretty irrelevant anymore i mean I'm in my fifties, but anybody you know, younger who didn't grow up with the Commodores, right? Yeah, you so know. you're not you're not humming all night long all the time or something. No, huh? <laughs> and I think Katy Perry, her music's fine, but her personally, she's just too political. Uh-huh. She's always got a an edge, you know, to her answers. And and Luke, you know, he's a good country singer, but I think he's kind of a drag as. You, you miss Paula and Simon and those guys, huh? Those people. Right, and that's why I think The Voice is popular, because people not only like the shows with the auditions, but they also like the rapport between, like, Adam Levine and Blake mm-hmm. Shelton. And it's just the, the, the three on American Idol just don't, it just mm-hmm. goes against me. So I'm not watching, unfortunately. I wish, because I, I did like the show, but... Um, Are you surprised that they're going head-to-head? Do you think you'd be more inclined? Yeah, yeah okay. I think they thought they were going to be better than they are. Yeah. And I think there's just way too many um, voice watchers. They're, even right. on The Voice, when they don't turn a chair, that person still is a pretty good singer. Right. On American Idol, they have those goofy, um, the goofy auditions. Do they still do? I don't even know. if they Do they still do those audition shows? Think, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think they throw them in here and there. But, you know, I don't want to waste my time on right. 
some goofball. <laughs> right. Well, no, it, uh, thanks. It, 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 it is just, it, it is interesting to me. And again, it, it's this commitment of time. I, I think there's probably a lot of factors, but like, I, I think formats and stuff get, get tired and you have to figure out ways to refresh them. I am surprised that they bought, brought the show back as quickly as they did. I'm surprised they brought it back head to head with the voice. And, and again, maybe things will turn around, but sometimes shows do this slow build. You know, you, you know, people hear about them word of mouth. They get excited and they turn them in. I don't think that's going to be the case with a show that, you know, candidly is, is, you know, we have a couple of calls I can't get to because I'm kind of against the clock. But we want to make the point that it's, it's, it's a generational. It's over 50. It's, it's, you know, a 15 year old show that's essentially been in the same format. And I think a lot of people say, you know, seen it, done it. Um, uh, I don't. I don't know. I would not be surprised if American Idol is a one and done. Just saying. Two fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Stick around.